This is Voices of Texas, the podcast about Texans. Recording from Brownwood, in the heart of Texas, here's your host, Matthew Hinman. Welcome back to Voices of Texas. This is episode 22. It's great to be back with you. I've got many more shows, great guests lined up for this summer. So be sure to subscribe at iTunes. And now also you can listen via Google Play. I just added that recently for the benefit of my Android listeners. So take advantage of those services. The news of the past year or so has been flooded with stories about drones. And I'm not talking about the military type, but the kind the average person can buy and fly for recreation, photography, and the like. Unfortunately, a lot of bad press has been out there regarding unmanned aerial systems or UAs. And that's mostly due to bad pilots doing bad things. But one Texan is aiming to change how people look at drones, not just by what he says, but by what he does. Garrett Brill is a software engineer out of Joshua, Texas, just about 30 minutes south of Fort Worth. And Garrett has been flying drones for over four years, two years of those in public service. And he joins me today on the program. Welcome, Garrett. How you doing? Hey, great. I'm glad to have you on the show. What first got you interested in flying drones to begin with? It actually started back, I was flying remote control aircraft. I've always been interested in those. It was just a, a hobby, something that, that I was always interested in. Um, and then, of course, along came the, the guided systems, and that was just kind of a natural progression. I see. So you, you fell in love with them, obviously, because you, you do so much with them now. But how did that, that love of these remote piloted aircraft turn into something that ended up becoming very beneficial for the public in general? Well, I have to give my wife some credit for that. Uh, the way that came about was, uh, again, this was, this was uh, prior to the guided systems such as the Phantom and the Inspire and the like. Uh, I was just flying for fun, and, and it was just a hobby. And uh, whenever I got my first Phantom II, uh, I flew that for almost a year. And one of our family mottos is if you have a skill, gift, talent, what have you, that... Uh, you should use it to help other people. So, of course, with that being as part of our family, my wife challenged me, well, that's real nice. How are you going to use that to help other people? And it kind of stuck. I was like, wow. And, and man, I wish I could remember who it was that, that offered this suggestion so I give them credit. But uh, somebody, one of my neighbors, uh, a friend or a neighbor, I was talking about that and kind of struggling with that. And they said, you know, the fire department uh, asked for help from aircraft quite a bit so they can see the fires and everything, I bet they would uh, could use some help from one of those. And a big light bulb came on. Um, a, I gave Fire Chief Wayne Baker of the Joshua Fire Department a call. A few days later, scheduled a, a little meeting, a little demonstration, and uh, it was a hit. He, was, he could instantly see the value, and uh, he, would, he definitely... Uh, welcomed any kind of um, volunteer help that I could offer. That's great. So if you were called out uh, on, on an incident to give some aerial views here, how fast can you deploy your drone? And then what kind of capabilities do you have that are going to be so beneficial? Oh, man, that's a big question. Um, <laughs> we, we, uh, how fast I can deploy it, uh, we, we timed it one time. 
my wife actually timed it for me. And from the time that I can, I put the vehicle in park, so I pull up and arrive at an incident, uh, till the time that it's in the air is about 30 seconds. Wow. Right now I fly the DJI Inspire 1. The capabilities, it's, it's a modified, a slightly modified DJI Inspire 1, uh, but it has a lot of the equipment that DJI sells too, such as the XT thermal camera. So, of course, the number one thing that, that it provides in all kinds of incidents is eyes in the sky. As you know, the, in the past, they've called on, on big stuff. They, it's expensive, but they would even call on helicopters and airplanes just so they could get that aerial view. Well, now they can have it in a fraction of the time and at a fraction of the cost of the taxpayers. So, of course, that's the no-brainer benefit. The second benefit, of course, is, is having thermal imagery in the sky. Again, they've had that on helicopters. It's very expensive, and, and uh, it, it takes a while to get that helicopter there, and often it's, it's not uh, timely enough to even call them in. Well, now they can have it on an incident. They can look at uh, roof integrity, where hot spots are. Um, they can locate people if they're uh, lost using thermal imagery, you know, children, elderly with um, Alzheimer's and such. And everything else that we use that thing for is, 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 you know, I could read on a list that would go on and on. The other thing that we can do that we have done is, in fact, is uh, we can deliver uh, rescue lines and life preservers or tag lines to carry rescue lines and life preservers. Uh, we have spotlights that we can put on there to help locate uh, people or, or cars or, you know, in one case where a car had washed down in a swift water incident. And so we can do everything from deliveries to, to aerial imagery, pretty much make a difference across the board. And, of course, the number one goal, uh, number one, is to keep firefighters and police officers, help keep them safe. And, uh, of course, to any time that you can help save a life um, or, or property, for that uh, matter, uh, it's always beneficial. Well, I, I know that uh, prior to our discussion today, we did talk a little bit about some of those specific incidences and how you had some of the video posted, I believe it's on your YouTube channel, where your, your drones have been instrumental, really, in public service. Talk about that swift water rescue a little bit. I, I found that very interesting. So back in May of 2015, um, it was really the interesting thing behind it is the attachment that goes on the Inspire 1 had just really been refined to be super reliable about uh, about three weeks prior to that incident and we had just started training with it practicing and, and make sure that we could repeat it over and over with reliability well sure enough uh, a couple weeks later here come the floods and uh, here we are doing it so that day very memorable day um, the first call went out at uh, about 5:15 in the morning and uh, it was a it was a mutual aid call in other words it was in another town and it was about 45 minutes away and we were like well, you know it's kind of that's a long way for a mutual aid especially in the rain so it must be something big well sure enough it was a swift water and on the there was two incidents within a short amount of time I'll, I'll cover them both real quick uh, the first one was a uh, pickup truck that had driven past the uh, blockade and uh, went into some swift water that was running over the street and it washed their truck off into this 
Uh, it's about a 24, 25 foot deep um, creek, ravine, whatever you want to call it, that was now flooded. And in fact, the water was up above the tree trunks all the way up into the tree canopy. Well, this, they, some people saw, uh, include, including part of the fire department personnel, saw uh, this truck wash down the river so, or down this creek, so they knew it was there. Uh, but they couldn't find it. And they had multiple fire departments and uh, full crews out there uh, searching up and down alongside uh, anywhere they could see it. They brought a hovercraft out there and they searched up in there. They, the hovercraft could fight that swift water and they still couldn't find it. And uh, whenever we arrived on scene, uh, when we talked to the incident commander, he originally was pretty much under the assumption. It took us, uh, keep in mind on this, it took us you know, about 45, almost an hour to get out there. And uh, the incident commander was pretty much willing to call it a loss because of how long they've been searching with no response. And uh, Chief Baker, he told me, hey, uh, put the UAS up in there, just see if you can see anything. And at that time, him and the incident commander started walking back towards the fire truck. And uh, I went and I looked at the flight log, and about 45 seconds later, I located that vehicle. Um, I was able to see the taillight through the tree canopy that you couldn't see uh, from the ground at all. Um, at that point, they sent in the hovercraft, and they still couldn't see it, so I used a spotlight to guide them into there. And, of course, the, the uh, rescue was successful. Wow. At that point, Chief Baker instructed me to fly up and down the uh, banks to see if there was anybody else that may need help. And right on the way back, uh, about time for a battery change, another call came in, uh, whereas the Castells, and this is the one that the media was there, and they arrived on. On that one, uh, it was about 10 miles away, so we pack everything up and we go out there. And uh, the Castells, and these, this is the pictures you see and everything from the media, they, uh, they basically woke up to with their house in the middle of a raging river. Um, they had a creek that was several hundred feet, if not yards, behind their house. Uh, but that thing had swollen so much that it consumed their house. Uh, their cars were mostly underwater. Um, all of their patio furniture, their grill, everything. And the water was moving a good, you know, 15-plus miles an hour. So it was very swift waters. Uh, but they woke up because some tree or something hit the back of their house. Um, and Mrs. Castell looked out her window and... Uh, there was the, it, it, something that struck the back house. She looked out her window, and there was the water just you know a foot or so below coming in their door. So, again, Chief Baker said, "Well, we've been training it. Uh, we need a we need a rescue line from them and to us as fast as we can because you never know if the house is going to give way. Uh, this thing was up on stilts. You never know what's going to happen." So. Uh, there was really no other way to get the rescue line out there. They have things called shot lines and stuff that the fire departments are carrying. It'll shoot a, a rescue line to a certain range and everything, but it has to have some place to land. The only thing you were going to do with this is bounce it off the side of their house or knock Mr. Castell in the water, and that wouldn't have worked either way. So we uh, flew a tagline uh, out to Mr. Castell, which is basically a lighter uh, nylon rope, and then uh, Mr. Castell grabbed a hold of that. They tied on the full-size rescue line off the fire truck to the tag line, and, uh, and Mr. Castell pulled it over there. And, uh, we, of course, they were communicating on cell phone on how to, how to do this. And he tied it off to a main structure beam coming right out of the ground, and then they tied the other end onto the fire truck. 
and at that point they could tie the rescue boat uh, to that rope so that because they couldn't fight those currents with paddles and uh, try to get over there to Mr. Castell. Wow, that's that's really amazing. So that clearly these drones are becoming way more useful in public service. I remember in particular one video <laughs> there was a I guess an escaped felon. Is that right? Yes, that's correct. So with that, that was actually not me flying, but that was uh, we, uh, Chief Baker and I uh, started a, a UAS flight school, uh, teaches both you know basic fundamental skills, but also operations uh, on how to fly these things in, uh, in public safety, fire department, police department. And that was one of our students. Um, it's, it's, uh, his name is um, Jamie Moore, the Johnson County Emergency Management Director. Um, on that day, what had happened is uh, there was an escaped felon, and uh, he, I, I don't know all the details, I don't need to know on, on his whole escape scheme, but uh, they were looking for this guy for uh, an hour and a half is what I was told on the ground, and they needed air support. So on that day, they called out uh, three UAS uh, with, with uh, skilled pilots, uh, we were one of them, and uh, Jamie Moore uh, was another, and uh, he arrived first. They also called out the uh, DPS helicopter out of Fort Worth. Jamie Moore arrived first, and uh, he put his UAS, also an Inspire 1, up in the air, and he found the escape convict in uh, six minutes. Um, at that point, they told the helicopter to return home. Uh, we were just arriving on scene, um, but it was great. They already had the guy in there in, in custody. So some of the great things that came out of that, uh, we had kind of a debrief or, or after-action review on that. One of the things that came out of it is there was a little bit of a cost analysis. Okay, so we called out three UAS and a helicopter. Well, how much does it cost helicopter machine alone? We're not we're not including salaries that can vary and such like that, but uh, aircraft alone, um, the DPS helicopter, considering its lifespan and et cetera, et cetera, costs about twelve the taxpayer about twelve hundred dollars every time he spins his rotor up. Um, one of these Inspire ones is about two dollars. That's a big difference. Monster savings. Uh, the other thing that was big on the tactics is whenever a helicopter is up in the air, um, they're basically guiding the uh, officers in on the convict with words. Okay, you know, he's so many feet or so many yards to your left or to the northeast or, you know, via this landmark, this barn or this street or what have you, right? Uh, what they quickly realized with the UAS is because there's no life in danger, they put it right, right over the bush that this guy was hiding in and announced over the radio all officers converge on the bush under the drone. And they could instantly know, know where he's at for their own safety and also get to him and make the arrest quicker. That was a big day. The video is very telling. And, and I'll post a link to it in the show notes for, for listeners. But it is amazing. This guy just really, you know, he saw it. He had to have seen it in the sky. And you could tell because he looked up and he tried to crawl under a bush. <laughs> he, he did. You know, in fact, uh, I asked uh, a few days later if uh, 
I asked Jamie Moore if he had been able to find out any information on this guy and what he thought and what he was trying to do. And uh, here's a little comedy, and I'm sure you saw him trip and fall when he tried to run between the bushes in the last one. But if you noticed that between the first ones, so this is the kind of comical part I got a chuckle out of. And, and they asked, you know, did you see the, the drone up in the air? And he said, well, yeah, I did. I, I knew that it had spotted me. That's why I crawl between the other two bushes. <laughs> Whenever you watch this video, and you'll see how much easier it is to see him because he's a big object from the aerial view crawling. Oh, yeah. um, his logic was <laughs> wasn't too uh, well suited for for what he was trying to do. Oh yeah, he, it was it was it was a comedy. So uh, you talked about training drone pilots there in your area. Tell tell us more about that. Okay, so. After after that uh, day in May last year, um, it kind of exploded around here. In fact, there were city managers telling fire departments and police departments that, you know, why don't you have that? You're going to get one because that just embarrassed us. Little town of Joshua just showed big city up, right? So um, you need that equipment too. Well, of course, they have money. They have no problem getting the equipment, but no one knows how to fly them. Um, you know, and, and true, the manufacturers and such will try to promote these things as they fly themselves, but any of us experienced pilots know that that's not the case. Uh, you know, I can put my Inspire 1 up at uh, 200 feet in the air, and sure, I can let a, a four-year-old fly it. Um, you get it down anywhere below the tallest obstacle, being a tree, a roof line, power lines, whatever, and uh, they get wrecked really fast if you don't know what you're doing, especially if you lose your GPS guidance or something like that. So anyway, these uh, they, the departments around here uh, kept asking Chief Baker and I, well, you know, where can we learn to fly this? Well, you know, they're really, there's some flight schools you can go to. And they say, yeah, they don't, but all they teach you is how to fly them. We need to know how to fly them in emergencies. And so they kept asking us if we'd put together a, a program and originally we didn't want to, but uh, I said, well, we need to help these guys. So we did. We spent uh, about five months putting together the, the school, and um, it's been a very successful school. And basically what it does is it starts off and it gives them the very fundamentals. They start off flying quadcopter toys. Um, it's a big missing link that a lot of schools miss um, so that whenever they do lose guidance or something, they have that fundamental to fall back on. Um, they can fly it without GPS guidance because it's not if it's going to happen, but when, as we all know. So they start off uh, learning that. Then they also learn how to how basically what most of us know, uh, and we bring them up to the skill level of a of a fairly highly skilled uh, UAS or you know one of these guided um, uh, multi-copter pilots would have. Uh, maybe not so much with the experience yet, but they have the knowledge, and they do get hands-on training. And then lastly, we teach them uh, operations, everything that uh, we have learned on how to successfully and safely use these uh, in emergencies. Um, and so uh, when they're all done, um, and, and the great news is, is they, they use them quite a bit, and uh, none of our graduates have had any problems or even a crash for that matter, knock on wood. Fantastic. Well, that that's doing all the good then because we're we're putting these things in the hands of people that really do need them. So, what recommendations would you have for new drone pilots? I mean, I, I've kind of bantered about the idea of purchasing one. Uh, I've I've flown some other small remotely operated aircraft, but you know, what kind of recommendations for you have would you have for people who are are interested in getting involved in this? 
probably the the very first recommendation that I get I get that question a lot by the way but the very first thing that I recommend people do um, if you have no experience at all start off with the toys um, you really want that fundamental ground because you you don't want you know once you've invested a, a good uh, decent chunk of change into one of these uh, guided units you really don't want to crash it you know and you may have all the good intentions and you may you know think you're a super cautious safe person but the reality is is they're complex and, and one minute they're they're just rock solid stable and uh, you know you may fly them through a microwave beam or near a cell tower and uh, it'll drop its guidance and you, you need to have those skills now they're safe they'll hold their altitude but you need to know how to bring it back and land it without that guidance so that's the number one thing that I recommend to anybody. And then the second thing that I recommend is is really establish what you want to do uh, with with uh, your UAS. So whenever you decide, okay, I have my skills, I'm, I'm good enough, I can fly this uh, toy, you know, as good as I can ride a bicycle and don't even really have to think about it anymore. Well, at that point, it's probably time for you to upgrade and, and you know, look at one of these serious units. And... Uh, at that point, what I think, what I recommend is for everybody to really think about what they need. Uh, you know, you can look at something like a Inspire, and it's you know fantastic, and it can night vision and delivery. But is that something that you want to do, or do you look more for? I just want to take uh, really neat uh, photographs of my family vacations from the aerial perspective. In that case, um, it's not worth it to you. So you got to kind of balance your your needs uh, with with what kind of money you're gonna invest in one of these units. Absolutely. Well, we appreciate all the good you're doing up there with drones in the Lone Star State. And uh, it's really catching on. I think a lot of people are finding out more about it. And if I have listeners that want to find out more about you or about what you do there, what would be a good start for them? Um, if they want to contact me, uh, they're more than welcome to contact me directly via email. My email address is uh, gjbryl at sbcglobal.net. Fantastic. Well, and uh, of course, you're all over social media. You're on Facebook, you're on YouTube, you're, you're just about everywhere. So <laughs> people can find you very quickly. That's, that's very true. They can, they can hunt me down. I, I go by my, my actual name. I don't have some kind of hidden, you know, screen background name or I just, you know, it's just Garrett Brill. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, thank you for coming. Garrett Brill of Joshua, Texas, who is changing the world one drone flight at a time. Thank you, Garrett. Thank you, Matthew. And thanks to you too, my listener. I appreciate your kind support and you can contribute to the program over at patreon.com slash Voices of Texas or online at VoicesofTexas.com and just about all social media outlets. You can listen through iTunes and the Google Play Store, so feel free to catch up on past episodes. Voices of Texas is part of the Texas Podcasting Network at texaspodcast.net. Opinions of guests, co-hosts, and others appearing on this podcast are not necessarily the views of its host, producer, or affiliates. No part of this podcast may be reproduced or retransmitted in any way over any medium without express written consent of the producer.